Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the book of Esther how Mordecai knew the history of the Amalekites from Moses and how God told them never to forget what they had done to them years ago. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. We've just got a few days left before the end of the year, and we want to encourage you to give your support to the Friendship with God radio program. It not only keeps this Bible teaching radio program on the air, but it also helps with Jewish evangelism and reaching the Jew first with the gospel, as well as many Gentiles. We reach a million and a half lost Jewish people here with the gospel, as well as many Gentiles. We want to encourage you to give your support to not only a radio ministry, but an evangelical outreach ministry, Israel Restoration Ministries. We give a matching donation. So for every dollar you give to this radio ministry, we match it. And 100% of it's tax deductible, 100% of it goes towards Jewish evangelism, and 100% of it goes to keeping this radio program on the air, and 0% of it goes towards administration costs. All of it, your dollar, goes 100% towards this radio program, Jewish evangelism, and it's 100% tax deductible. It's a great ministry to support. We want to encourage you to support us these last few days of the year. We need your support. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Again, this is money that's going to be invested in eternity, getting the gospel out to others, as well as getting the gospel out through the airwaves on the Friendship with God radio program. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Call us now or after the program, or go to friendshipwithgod.org to donate online. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching from the book of Esther. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that there are, Lord, innumerable reasons to worship your holy name. And this morning, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and and cause us to see more, Lord, of those reasons, and to love you more with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to Esther, book of Esther, as we continue uh, today, and I know you have perfect memories, so you remember everything that was said four weeks ago, so that's very good. Uh, So we're now in Esther chapter 3, and going to consider this very, very important passage here in the history of what happened in this whole book as a history of how God saved again the Jewish people, his people, from extermination. Let's look in uh, Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate, bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, while they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then was Haman full of wrath, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews 
that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Now, we finished, as you remember, in, in chapter 2 with this exaltation, this wonderful exaltation of Esther, the Jewess, to the position of queen of the kingdom. And we saw as that chapter ended there how Mordecai nobly saved the life of the king, even though he got no honor for it, got no credit for it, but nevertheless he did it. And why did he save the life of the king? Because Mordecai was a good man. And inasmuch as he was a good citizen, he was there to obey the laws of the kingdom inasmuch as he could, and to be loyal to the country that he was a citizen of. And if Mordecai lived today, he would say that he was an American, he was proud to be an American, he was a loyal American citizen, he was just a good citizen. And this is the way our chapter 2 ended. It finished with this, and all looks well for the Jews, because one of their own, Esther, is queen, and Mordecai has just saved the king's life. Now, all of a sudden, we come to chapter 3. Out of nowhere, we get the scene of a new chapter which begins, and we haven't seen and we know nothing about a certain character named Haman that just comes right up on the stage. And there's Haman. We don't know where he came from. We don't know anything about him, except we are told in verse 2 that the name of his father was Hamadatha. That doesn't really help us. But we're told that Haman is an Agagite. An Agagite. An Agagite. That means something to us. Because that means that he is a descendant of a man named Agag. Now that's an important man. He was a king. And there's a history about King Agag that ended up costing Saul his throne. And we remember this about King Agag. And if you'd like to turn, it's over there in 1 Samuel 15, 8 through 11. It just describes this history behind this man. It says there in 1 Samuel 15, 8, And he, that's Saul, took Agag, the king of the Amalekites. That means something to us too king of the Amalekites alive, and utterly destroyed all the people at the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. I don't really want to call his name. doesn't matter. But anyway, they spared him alive. And so here's Haman. He's a descendant now because Saul spared him alive. And the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings and the lamb and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me. In other words, God felt really bad about the fact, he said, that I have set up Saul to be king. God was actually saying, If I had to do it again, I wouldn't do this. For he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And then he dropped down to verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And the stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Saul was always very good at taking responsibility. So Agag here is the king of the Amalekites. And there's something about Amalek 
that we need to remember also. And so if you like to turn back to this in Deuteronomy 25, there's something very, very important that was to never be forgotten among the Jewish people. Never forget this, Moses told the people. And this is what it says here in Deuteronomy 25, 17. Remember, he said, what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt. How he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. He starts off with remembering, and he says, don't forget it. Mordecai knew the history He knew this history like the back of his hand. Mordecai knew that when his Jewish people were coming out of Egypt and they were chased by the enemy, and that enemy only wanted to redden the soil of the desert with their blood. And he knew that when his own people were leaving Egypt, the place that represented death to them, that his people were in general, they were tired, they were faint, they were hungry. Mordecai knew that at that time among his people, there were some special people special people. Mordecai knew that among his people, there were special people who were just crippled. And whether they were on crutches or just hobbling, they were crippled. And they just couldn't keep up with their families as they were going. And they kept going, but they could see that their families were stopping and having to wait for them as they came along. And they said, don't worry about us. We're all Jewish people here. We're just going to go a little bit slower. We'll be safe. We'll be among all of our people here. And we'll come and catch up later. And so the special group of the crippled dropped back. And Mordecai knew that among his people that there was a very special group of people who were just very old. And then there was a group of people who were just very young. And they no longer walked, the old people, like they used to. And the young people couldn't keep up as well. And so they, again, they saw their families having to slow down and wait for them. And they felt bad about this. And so the grandparents says, don't worry, leave the grandkids with us. We'll just go a little slower at our pace. And we'll catch up with you. And so a special group of the very old and the very young just dropped back in the group as they were making their procession. And Mordecai knew that among his people that there was a very special group of people who were just sick. We've just heard about our brother Ed Haldeman. They had contracted infections in the desert. And they were, there was two million people and they were all together. And it was very easy for infections to just spread like wildfire. And they were feverish. And they were delirious. And every step that they took, they wondered, am I going to faint? And they just couldn't keep up either. And they just dropped back and they said, don't worry, we're among our own Jewish people. And that special group of the sick dropped back. And so finally... As the procession moved forward, the special group of the crippled people, the special group of the very old, the very young people, the special group of the sick people, all found themselves together into one big special group that kept dropping back farther and farther as the procession of the Jewish people went forward. And a king named Agag looked over the large procession of the millions of Jewish people, and he saw this special group. Dropping to the back, he saw they were the crippled. They were the old. They were the very young. They were the sick. And he turned to his young, able-bodied, healthy, strong men of Amalek. And he said, don't engage. 
the young, able-bodied, healthy, strong Jewish men, but go down there and kill off that group. At the end, those crippled, those old, those very young, those sick, kill them off. And that night, when they made camp, and the Jewish families, all the Jewish families, they waited for their loved ones to catch up, because that's what they were told. They waited for their grandparents. They waited for their very young. They waited for their crippled. They waited for their sick to catch up, and they didn't come. And instead came the message. The Amalekites killed them. That was a horrible, horrible atrocity. And what Moses said is that they didn't fear God. They didn't care what God was going to look and see and do. And so Mordecai felt the pain of these families because of what Amalek had done. And Mordecai remembered that God had told Moses, remember what Amalek did unto you, by the way. He said, he smote the hindmost, the feeble behind thee, the faint, the weary. He said, blot out their remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. And he knew, Mordecai knew, that God had told Moses, don't you ever forget it, Moses. Don't you ever forget it, Jewish people, what Amalek did to you, blot out their remembrance. And he knew that Agag was the king that gave the order to kill that group. And Mordecai knew that when Saul had a chance to kill the Amalekites, to kill the king Agag, that Saul did not obey God and didn't destroy them. And Saul spared Agag. And Mordecai knew why Saul spared Agag. Because he said, I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. And from that experience, Mordecai vowed in his life to always obey God and not to be influenced by people around him who might be bowing because the fear of man was a great snare that destroyed his king Saul. And when Haman appears on the scene now of Mordecai's life, the only thing that Mordecai saw with Haman was that he was an Agagite. He was a descendant of King Agag, the murderer of the special group. And he looked at Haman, and we can imagine Mordecai saying to him, Hello, King Agag. My name is Mordecai, and my cousin's name is Queen Esther. But you can just call her the second King Saul. Because when Mordecai looked at Haman, he could have said those words, Thus saith the Lord God, because the Philistines have dealt by revenge and have taken vengeance with a despiteful heart to destroy it for the old hatred. And the old hatred was alive within Haman. And that's what he saw. And Mordecai would see Esther as the second king. And she did finish the work that the first king Saul didn't do. Because the only thing that Mordecai saw in Haman was the title Agagite and how he made the decision to cowardly kill out that group. Now, Mordecai suspected that because he's an aggregate, it was only a matter of time before he became an anti-Semite. So when he looked on in horror as he saw him become promoted above all the princes there, it was a terrible, terrible time. It was similar to our time right now when we have a president who refuses for the second time to the invitation from uh, President, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel to meet together but instead has extended this invitation to promote the king of Egypt, Morsi. And King Oashuerus had commanded everyone bow and give reverence to Haman. And Mordecai couldn't do that. Mordecai bowed not, in verse 2, nor did him reverence. And then the king said to Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? And he told him he was a Jew. 
What does that mean? He was a Jew. He had the law of God. And he knew that from Exodus 20, verses 2 and 5, God had said, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He says to him in verse 5, Thou shalt now not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. He said in Exodus 20, verse 5, he was a jealous God. And Mordecai knew that God, who he knew as God at that time, who we know now as the Lord Jesus Christ, but he knew that that was the one who delivered them out of the land of Egypt. And isn't that how we know our God? He delivered us out of the prison house of our sin, out of the defilement of our sin. He's our deliverer. And he knew him, that he needed to give him all the devotion and loyalty. And he knew that God had commanded to don't bow down to idols and by extension to any man, especially a descendant of King Agag. And we know exactly that Mordecai was looking to God and say, I'm going to be loyal to God. This bowing down part. I have a friend named Pastor Doug Brandenburg. Doug's relatives were Matthias Brandenburg, who was the uncle of Frederick the Great in Prussia. And uh, he was the ruler of Prussia in the 1700s. And so Matthias lived in this uh, particular Prussian village. And when Frederick the Great was going to come through, which was his uncle, they, they had everyone line up on the streets. So when the parade would come and Frederick would come, they told everybody lining up the street, when you see Frederick the Great, you bow down to him. See? And so Matthias Brandenburg is just like my friend Doug Brandenburg. And he said, he said, I bow to no one but Jesus Christ, especially not to a lousy king. <laughs> that didn't go over very well. And so that was reported back to Frederick the Great. And Frederick the Great had an edict put out against him to have him killed and seize his property. And so then he, with two of his brothers in 1752, sailed to America and ended up settling in Virginia. I bow to no one but Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the way it was for him. So Mordecai was saying, I bow to no one except the God of Israel, especially not to a lousy Agagite. I don't need to put that in. <laughs> now, why did God tell his people to not bow down to idols? Because he said there's one word explanation. And when we covered it, one word explanation, he says, because I'm a jealous God. That's why you shouldn't do it. I'm a jealous God. Thou shalt not bow down to thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, thy God, am jealous. Why? He's jealous. You know, one day, well over 10 years ago, my wife and I were in Tokyo, and it was just a beautiful fall day, as Japan is really gorgeous at that time. And our Japanese company president, Dr. Miyoga, we had a full day scheduled where we started off very early in the morning, and we were going to spend the day crisscrossing Tokyo, and we were going to visit four customers, which meant that my wife had a free day. So our office secretary, Matsusaka-san, had arranged to spend the day with my wife. And she was going to show her the sights of Tokyo while Dr. Miyoga and I were doing business. Now, Matsusaka-san had just gotten married less than a year ago. And so Matsusaka-san and her husband were still in that honeymoon phase, you know, very much in love. And so all of us, all four of us, we had breakfast in the lobby of the Hilton, and Dr. Miyoga and, and I, we said goodbye to my wife and Matsusaka-san. It was an absolutely beautiful fall day. And Matsusaka-san knew that Cheryl loves Japanese gardens. 
And so she had arranged to, to show her different Japanese gardens. Well, most of the beautiful Japanese gardens are part of the uh, temple shrines and uh, Buddhist shrines and Shinto, Shinto, anyways, Shinto and Buddhist places of worship. And so they came to this one big garden, and then she wanted to show her the shrine temple area. And so they climbed up the steps and just face the shelf with all the idols on them, the god shelf. And they were standing shoulder to shoulder, many people standing there, and lots of tourists, very famous place, lots of Japanese people, lots of Americans also there. And they're all doing the same thing. They're all, they have bells, they're ringing the bells, they're clapping their hands like this, and then they were throwing money into this long box, the Sison box, and they're throwing down, and then they would, after they did those things, then they would bow, see? So, Matsusaka-san, Cheryl up there, Matsusaka-san claps her hands, reaches in her purse, finds some Japanese money. Of course it's Japanese money. She's in Japan. That's all she had. Japanese language. made some money. And she threw them into the Sison box in front of the gods, idols, gods there. And then she bowed. And so, my wife, <laughs> she stood there so frozen, she could have been a stiff and rigor mortis. She was upright, were their hands like a corpse, like this, in absolute stiffness. And Matsuzaka-san looks over, and she says, Oh, sorry, sorry, she says, sorry. She says, and she opens up her purse and fumbles to give her some coins to offer to Cheryl so she can throw in and bow down to the idols. <laughs> At that point, Cheryl got even more stiff, <laughs> more upright, and Cheryl protested, Oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't. She says, Matsuzaka-san looks puzzled. And so she looks to the right hand of them. There's a whole lot of people there, Americans. And she looks to the other hand. There's a whole lot of people there. Americans are there. And they're all lined up doing that. And Matsusaka-san says, why not? She didn't get it. And uh, why can't you throw the money in and bow? And Cheryl looked at her and said, Matsusaka-san, I can't because my God is a jealous God. And Matsusaka-san didn't know that word. So she said to Cheryl, jealous? Your God is jealous? What does that mean to be jealous? Well, at this point, they're still standing up there. All the people on both sides. So, so Cheryl asked her to step down the stairs and come over to the side so she can have a little conversation. They climb down the stairs and go down. And Cheryl says, Matsusaka-san, I have a question for you. She says, what would happen if tonight you returned home to your husband and you said, oh, today... I met the most wonderful man. Oh, he's tall, he's handsome, he's muscular. He's so intelligent, so interesting to listen to. I thought I could have listened to him for hours. He's so funny. I laughed at his jokes. I enjoyed being with him so much. And then Cheryl says, Matsusaka-san, what would happen if you came home and said those things to your husband tonight? Without any hesitation, she said, oh, my husband become very angry. <laughs> and Cheryl looked at her and said, that's why I can't throw the money in the box. She said, because my God would become very angry if I throw the money in the box, because he's jealous. And they walked away. As they walked away, Cheryl said that you could just see on her face the thought and the concept just sort of percolating, percolating down through her mind as she was getting it, what it meant to be jealous and how God was a jealous God, and that would be admiring other gods. And later that afternoon, they returned to the Hilton, and Cheryl invited her up to our room, and Matsusaka-san looks around the room, and she saw Cheryl's Bible on the bedstand, 
And she went over to it and she said, what is this book? And Cheryl Sand said, well, those are the words of my jealous God. Those are the words of my jealous God. He loves you so much and jealous for you that he died for your sins so you could be forgiven. She reached down. She picked up that book like she was holding the most valuable piece of Meissner china. And just tears started to flow down her face. She got it. She understood the jealous love of God. And that day in Tokyo, Cheryl Cantor refused to bow to the Japanese idols. And in the 1700s, Matthias Brandenburg refused to bow to Frederick the Great. And 2,400 years ago, Mordecai refused to bow to Haman the Agagite. And why did Cheryl refuse to bow to the idols? And why did Brandenburg refuse to bow to Frederick the Great? And why did Mordecai refuse to bow to Haman? All because of the same reason. Because they loved God. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor in the Friendship with God radio program today. Now again, we're coming to the close of the year end, and we want to encourage you to give a contribution to this radio program and our Jewish outreach ministry that reaches over 1.5 million lost Jewish people a year with the gospel, as well as many Gentiles. Now, to encourage you to do that, we want to offer Tom Cantor's book, The Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, a great book from Tom Cantor, 84 pages, 194 Prophecies and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll give that to you today for a donation of $20 or more to our ministry. You can call us and receive that book and make a donation of $20 or more, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org to donate online. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at the same time.